That was the best curtsy I could give, I suppose. Good morning, or aloha, I suppose. Happy summer to you. Uh, if you are visiting for the first time in a bit, we are in the midst of a series through July where we are looking at the four seasons of the year, spring, summer, autumn, and winter, and we're overlaying kind of that spiritual journey with God through those seasons to kind of to express for a moment what it might look like through our lifelong journey with God as it grows in spring seasons, as it endures in summer seasons, and so forth. Last week, we did talk about spring. We talked about uh, the way that we can retain water is kind of how we talked about it. We talked about receiving all of the goodness that God is prepared to pour out on us, to fill up to the absolute brim with his love and kindness that when summer comes, we might overflow into the world again. Today we're talking about summer. We're talking about what it looks like to overflow into the world. We're going to talk about fruit, what it looks like to bear fruit as Christians throughout the journey together. Now, a summer season characterized by generosity, but we're going to talk about where that generosity might come from, how that generosity is produced, what that generosity might feel like when it's of our own efforts or when it seems tied to the, to the vine. We're going to distinguish kind of the difference of those things. Um, as we read in John, this, he talks about remain in me and I also remain in you. Uh, abide in me and I also abide in you. Now, that word abide, it's, sim- it's simply, we could translate it remain, we could translate it persevere. We could translate it stay or continue. Continue what, we might ask? It might continue in me. Now, in spring seasons, unique in spring seasons, is that we begin to sprout as plants, as, as believers. Something new is taking root in spring seasons of the journey. Whether we just came in contact with this spring season in the voice of love, and, or we've returned to it after a long journey and we find ourselves again in a renewed spring season. The roots are going, the roots are growing and we are beginning to sprout. And in summer seasons, uh, our roots begin to deepen. They begin to strengthen as they kind of go downward and compete with the resource of water. That, has might, that might have begun to uh, dry up. Now, whether we're talking about the spiritual life or we're talking about the seasons of the year, um, we sometimes can think of this uh, in terms of a scarcity. We can think of like the cycle of the year, like, oh, in spring there's lots and lots of rain. And then we move out of rain into something else. And we can think of this as like a cycle of abundance and scarcity. And I think for the purpose of today and where we're going this month, I'm wondering if we entertain what it might look like instead of a cycle of abundance and scarcity, if we explore what it might look like 
in a cycle of abundance uh, in various expressions, various means. His abundance remains. He's always abundant, right? Amen? He's always abundant, and his abundance is different, expresses differently in different seasons. In a spring season, his abundance is that rain to nourish us, and we receive the rain, as much of it as we can. And in summer seasons, his abundance moves from the form of rain to sunshine. There's an abundance of sunshine. And so his his engagement in our lives changes in these seasons, which can get a little tricky because we think, oh, it was really nice to receive rain. And that might be the, and we can think to ourselves, that might be the way that he loves me. And we try to get back to somewhere else when we experience a new season that looks very unfamiliar at first, of a lot of sunlight, a lot of warmth, a lot of daylight. And one of the realities that we face is, I mean, earlier this week, I was talking to someone and we thought about, can you get stuck in a season? Can you get stuck somewhere? Can you eternally get stuck in spring? Can you eternally get stuck in winter? Can you eternally get stuck somewhere throughout the journey? And kind of where this conversation led us is, it's less a question of, can I live in fully in this season that I'm experiencing, the circumstances that God is abundantly blessing me in? It's less a question of, can I live in this season or that other preferred season? It's actually a question of, can I live fully in this season or no season that we, that's available? Because it's not available. And in the summer, his abundance is changing forms. And so it it challenges us to change with it. It challenges us from just receiving kind of that wealth of moisture, where everything's kind of sprouting, to where we kind of witness the sun kind of glowing on us. This is how a few people have put this kind of season uh, before us. This is Gregory Boyle. He's the, I, I think he's the chairman or the executive of Homeboy Ministries out in L.A., if you're familiar with that thing. He says, behold the one beholding you. That's kind of how he's consi- talking about summer seasons. The sun is beholding I, and I behold the sun. William McNamara puts it this way. He says, this season, well, he doesn't refer to it this season. He's talking about it in terms of the journey. But he's talking about this loving, this long-loving look at the real. That's what that territory of summer is, where the sun feels really strong and dominant. It's going to be like 1,000 degrees on Monday. Okay? It feels really strong and dominant. And we receive its warmth, and we return its warmth. A long, loving look at the real. This is how Richard Rohr puts it. He says, within prayer, this might be how prayer kind of looks in this territory of the journey. He says, within prayer, you quite simply receive and return God's 
gaze of love. God is recognizing God's self in you, and you are recognizing yourself in God. And that is the activity of summer. Is that we're receiving this new form of his abundant love and pleasure in us in the form of the sun. And we're, it's a, it's a, it could be a season of thankfulness, of where we're just thankful for it. This is great news. I brought a sunflower from my alley this morning. Thank you, Randy. And unique to, I mean, have it, has anyone seen, who's growing sunflowers? Anybody? Front yard, backyard, alleyway. Um, there's some, and, and a lot of plants follow this same program. But sunflowers, you'll, we, we all understand, we've kind of witnessed them. They, they face the sunrise, which is this direction for our situation. It faces the sunrise, and then it moves along with the sun. The sunflower does. Right? And that's the image we have in the season of summer, is we face wherever he's at. And as he moves, we maintain eye contact with the gaze. We return the gaze. And then, interestingly, it's for sunflowers, after the sun sets, what happens? The sunflower begins to return east for the next morning. And then it just faces the sun all day as it grows and matures. And as it grows and matures, it gets a little more interesting. As it grows and matures, something different is, is happening in the sunflower, and it begins to grow, it begins to strengthen, and then it stops going like full 180 degrees, and it starts kind of playing in the territory of this like 90 degrees, because it doesn't want to miss the first rays of sunlight. It doesn't want to miss those first rays of sunlight. Why? The sunflower gets mo- is, is, is warmer facing directly east than it is kind of orienting there after the sun rises. And is five times more likely, this is true, is five times more likely to be pollinated, which gives it permission to flower and yield fruit, right? That's how pollinations work. You know, bee, a pollinator, travels from one flower to another, deposits the pollen, and then it gives it permission to produce fruit. And so, I think what I'm, what I, what I, the image I've got in my mind, and I'm hoping to sh- that you might share with me, is this: What direction am I facing in this summer seasons? If it's just sunlight. His abundant love and generosity and goodness on who I am, on who I already am. Now, there's a, a, I don't know if we call it risk or we call it warning or we call it reality. Sometimes we consider the summer seasons of our spiritual life as like get going and like, or we associate with like heavy ministry work. Like, go do that work. Get going on that kingdom work. Go do something. Uh, get busy. Um, 
where we begin to fill our day with kind of activities that look to promote God in the world, which is a beautiful and good thing. But the challenge is that we sometimes place the importance of doing in the world before the position of receiving. And so that wealth of his goodness that we built up in spring begins to shallow out within us until we lose resource of any of that. Because in summer, this gazing at God fills us to the brim as we were in spring so that it's any excess isn't, is not at our own risk. It's not at loss of self into the world. And that, and that love in the world, it tastes different. We all taste it. When, when there's activity of love in the world that's motivated, like self-generated, and activity of the world that seems to just emerge from somebody's Christ-likeness, you can taste the difference. You can see the difference. Observe it, perhaps takes on a different kind of being. And in the summer season, we're faced with kind of prioritizing things. Prioritizing the way that we receive sunlight and prioritizing the things that are going to grow. Now, yeah, where do we go here? We've kind of adulterated the word prioritize. Priority was originally introduced in the English language in the 14th century from the Latin priority, prioritai, and it's singular. It's like about one thing. You have a thing, a one priority, singular. And then it wasn't until 1972 that it was pluralized um, during a presidential election where you began to, where you began to prioritize the important things in a policy. And so, we've, so it went from singular, we have a priority, and we've said there's a lot of things to, be, to make priorities. There's a lot of important things to prioritize. And in a season of summer, as we watch the sun rise and negotiate kind of this, the earth, we prioritize what that light is strengthening around me. In spring seasons, there's a lot of new beginnings. We get pretty jazzed because everything is bursting forth with life, including weeds. (laughs) But everything is growing and growing really quickly, and it's very exciting. And then in summer, we just consider what, what, what items around us do we want to continue growing? What item around us in me do I want to continue growing? Because each of those plants, every one of those plants, is going to be vying for that same nutrient. And they're all really good. And it's simply asking, Lord, what is the activity in, your, in my life that you'd like to support as this thing continues to blossom and grow? Continue to blossom and grow. This is how Paul Dunbar puts this territory in life. It's a good image, I think. He was the first African-American poet to really be recognized nationally, born in 1872. This is how he puts it. He says, 
O summer as clothe the earth, and a cloak from the loom of the sun, and a mantle too of the sky's soft blue, and a belt where the rivers run. I envy the farmer's boy who sings as he follows the plow, while the shining green of the young blades lean to the breeze that cool his brow. That's beautiful, right? He sings, this gets better. He sings to the dewy morn, no thought of another's ear, but the song he sings is a chant for kings and the whole wide world to hear. He sings of the joy of life, of the pleasures of the work and rest, from the overflow heart, without aim of art, it is a song of the merriest. You have the image in your head? This image of this person? I envy the farmer's boy who's singing this song. He can't help but sing. That's beautiful. He can't help but sing this thing. He's not singing it particularly for anybody, but he's singing it in a way that it's for everyone that everyone's able to hear it. And he's doing a work. There's work being done, right? He's in the plow. He's in the fields. He sings of a joy of life, of the pleasure of work and rest. It's the pleasure of work and rest. It's that, it's that idea of where your where you're great Gladness in the world meets the world's great need. I think of this in like a Venn diagram. It's that intersection, if you will, of this. I'm really pleased when I'm doing this very thing. And it tends to promote kingdom in the world. It tends to bring focus into what's most important and beautiful. It tends to highlight God's activity. And it overflows naturally. It doesn't necessarily feel like uh, we're self-producing these things. That's why we talk about, oh, the yoke is, is easy and light. Because it feels like I'm not doing this alone. <laughs> I do a lot of things and I'm going, oh, good, this feels like I'm doing this thing alone. I feel like I'm by myself trying to figure this thing out. And once I figure this thing out, maybe then God will join me in the next that's like a narrative that I carry with me. Opposed to, oh, we're kind of tending, tarrying this field together. It's in this gladness, in this goodness. Um, a couple thoughts, and then we'll pray as we talk more about what's to come. I don't know the trajectory of what's to come. I just, I, I know it's not spring and summer. <laughs> uh, and I anticipate it eagerly. <laughs> um, a couple thoughts. One is about how best to live in summer seasons. And then kind of ways that we might tend to arrest movement within those seasons. Now again, we, we live most dominantly, perhaps, in one of these four seasons, but all of us is encountering all four of these seasons. Do we understand this? So you're all encountering some form of summer somewhere in the landscape of your life, as well as autumn, winter, and spring. So as we live, perhaps most dominantly, but perhaps just 
in like an acute sense, a summer season, the, here's, some, here's thoughts on like how best to participate in this activity in ways that perhaps might arrest it a little bit. Um, but we stay put. You stay put, like in the soil that you currently are. You stay put and you trust that the soil has all the right nutrients to promote the strengthening and deepening relationship with God. Now, I have the tendency, perhaps you share this, during summer seasons where things are like bursting forth and there's goodness happening, that I want to see like what exact, where, I want to see the roots grow. I want to see some definitive evidence of something. And so I take myself and I like uproot it, I kind of look at the roots. And then I'm like, did anything happen? Is anything growing here? And then I kind of put it back. And then next week, <laughs> I'm like, has anything grown yet? And in summer seasons, we stay in the soil. We just stay put. We stay put. We observe the sun, the gaze. We return the gaze. And we trust that everything that needs to be happening is happening. Whether or not to any outside evidence, anything is happening. And the fruit that we produce is a consequence of our abiding, of our lovingly receiving this gaze and returning it to him. And the fruit that's produced is not of my doing. We might not ever even see what it is. But that's, been, but that's the promise. We stay put and we rest in him. This is how James Finley talks about it, and then we'll talk about the, maybe arresting something and pray. He says, when God gazes at us, you and me, when God gazes at us, and we gaze at God, we light up. And God lights up with joy of being recognized by the one that God created in God's own image and likeness for the very sake of this recognition. He says it's a state of visceral, emotional, intimate communion, a tender recognition of oneness that we might rest in him, resting in us. And soon enough, that gaze, as we mature, produces something in the world without risk to ourselves, without risk of our own personal intimacy with God, where we start telling people about him uh, almost in reference. Like, I've heard about this guy. I've heard about this God that. We begin to produce a fruit in the world that isn't self-generated. And it just naturally overflows into the world. Now, maybe one risk, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pray. Um, and we talked a little bit about it, but I think the, the biggest risk for me in the room <laughs> is that I, uh, I, I misprioritize my doing for my being. I tend to just, oh, I'll just get on with it then. And what happens in me, what happens in me is I'm thinking if I do enough, if I do enough, 
I might just return to that sense I had in spring of his love and affection. And it's me attempting to work my faith back to his affection. And that's not how Christ modeled any of his generosity in the Bible. He first and always received who he was and got to share it with the world. He first and only received the gaze and allowed it to overflow into the world. It was never an action of trying to achieve that belovedness, that delight, that love that he had experienced before. Because it's taken a different form in his current context. I'll ask the question sometimes. Uh, this is where I get, I get kind of caught up. Is I'll ask the question, Lord, like, what do you want me to do? Have anyone asked this question? Like, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll, well, I'll ask it later today. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I think it's a good question. That's a good question. What do you want me to do? Yet, before we ask that question, we need to be clear on, Lord, who am I becoming in you? As I gaze at you, and you gaze upon me, who is this creature becoming? And it will inform what it is there is to do, the activity of doing. We can misprioritize our, yeah, we can consider ourselves human doings, not human beings. Right? It's where my human being must receive and appreciate his love, affection, delight before my human doing gets to occur in the world. And then this begins this chemistry. I don't know how you frame it. This chemistry of receiving from him and cheering without risk of loss in the world. And our human beingness cooperates with our human doingness. In summer's a season, much like today, in summer's a season, we stay put. And his love. Those are those moments. Those are the moments when we feel, when you sense, man, God really cares about me. Personally. That's a moment of summer. Okay? And just receive it as long as you possibly can receive it. Until it gets into your bones. And then you, and then you allow it to produce. In whatever way is exactly right. Will you pray with me? Holy Trinity, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, thank you for your enormous generosity, for your pleasure and delight in who we already are. Lord, I pray that in seasons of summer, moments of summer, experiences or encounters of summer, that we might first receive uh, your gaze of love. 
that we might overflow that into the world without risk to ourselves. Lord, I pray that we come to prioritize our human being above our human doing. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your son's holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen.